0: Hello, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. We talk about cannabis on the show. We talk to early stage founders, we talk to investors, we talk to experts, people that help mold this industry, people that have helped mold it in the past. When I first started talking about doing the show, when I really got interested in the industry, which is only maybe like six months ago, to be honest, I was a smoker for a long time, but only like in the industry for six months or so, right? I went and had the fortunate conversation of having a talk with David Hua of Meadow, and our guest today was one of the very first people that he said you must go talk to. She's a legend in this industry, founder of BPG, and has such an activist background well before that. Uh, Debbie Goldsberry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's uh, it's really a pleasure to sit down with, with a legend.
1: Well, that's very nice. I'll try not to embarrass you. But... <laughs> okay, don't make me too nervous right out the gate.
0: <laughs> I have a tendency of talking people up. My uh, my director actually hates it because I tell him he's like the best ever, you know? But <laughs> I accept it. Anyway. <laughs> so you have such a history. Take me back a little bit to like before delivery and edibles and all of those things. Right, Eighties, eighties. mid well
1: or? in the 80s. Uh, yeah, I got involved the The very first time I smoked marijuana Well, I didn't feel like the first time a lot of people have that experience. I didn't know how to inhale. You know what? I mean, but the second time I was determined and um, <laughs> <laughs> And it changed my life forever I literally felt one way the day before one way the day after like there's something in my mind that clicked and suddenly everything was right How old were you? To say? I was 19. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, and um. And then for me, it was just amazing. So so having found cannabis and found so much satisfaction, even the life-changing experience with cannabis, mm-hmm. for the better, mm-hmm. I couldn't understand prohibition. Like, are you kidding me? This is what they're sending people to jail for? Something that actually is like this helpful for people? Yeah. Made no sense.
0: And people were going to jail for far less than they do today. I mean, how have those, things kind of changed, you know, being prosecuted.
1: Well, sadly, people still go to jail just for like tiny little bits of cannabis, but now we have pockets of legalization, I guess. But, um, well, when I got involved back in, I, I first smoked pot back in 1986, and there was a kind of a historic marijuana movement going on in the college campuses around the Midwest then. I'm from Illinois, so at U of I, there was this big pot rally, um, a smoke-in. That's what it was. It wasn't a rally. All around the Midwest, there were these little smoke-ins, The Hash Bash in Ann Arbor, the Great Marijuana Harvest uh, Midwest Harvest Fest in Wisconsin, wow. and we had Hash Bash at um, no, we had Hash Wednesday at University of Illinois.
0: And any relation to 420 here, or how did how would? Were...
1: No, because 420 came later. So, oh. uh, so at but Hash Bash was annual, third third Wednesday of every April, right? That sounds amazing. So. I become a cannabis user. I attend Hash Wednesday, 87. Somebody put up a um, lifeguard chair and a 30-foot bong on campus. So 30-foot bong, you had to sit in the lifeguard chair to take a hit off of it. This is like how free cannabis was wow. it, on the, in the campus. But then Reagan came in, so 88. So it's time for the annual thing again. Yeah. And Reagan had put out somehow to the college campuses, squish out those s- smokins. Wow. That will not go on again. So when we came, we're like, quite innocent kids in yeah. the Midwest. We come to show up to smoke our pot on campus and uh, get beat up by the cops literally bloodied. The, wow. We were the, my friend Rex even there's an, a historic uh, newspaper article he made the front page of the newspaper because they beat him with Billy clubs till he was bleeding and then drug him away. It was wow. too startling for us. We're, you know first of all, we're college kids in a liberal arts environment where we're you know learning about politics and freedom. Right. We like cannabis. Now we're be- being beaten bloody just because this guy Reagan becomes president and decides it's okay to...
0: And this were local police or campus police? It was or... the camp, I don't know. You don't know. It was police. Yeah. <laughs> it was those police. police, it was probably both. And so after you have this experience, you're just fired up. This right? is it's
1: what like, happened. Yeah. They said, you're never gonna be able to do this again. And then we were like, oh, you. let us what? tell you how yeah. wrong you are yeah. because not only are we coming back next year to our campus, we're gonna be on every campus in Illinois next year. So so you think you're gonna squash us here. In fact, you're creating an epidemic of activism. Uh, So we got organized, you know, we're here we are in in Illinois, it's kind of in a cornfield, middle of nowhere, but we pick up a high times. we just start calling everyone Normal. So we call up Normal, we find out that the director of Normal who founded it had been a college student at U of I, so Normal's involved. Then we get in touch with High Times, we find out that the, executive editor of High Times at the time. He was born and raised in Champaign-Urbana. High Times is involved. Then we get in touch with uh, the Yippies and Steve D'Angelo, founder of Harborside, of course. His girlfriend at the time, this woman R- Ruby Pearl, grew up in Champaign Urbana. Steve what? D'Angelo hears about. It. They're beating the kids bloody in Champaign Urbana. Are you kidding? So next year they all converged. So here we thought we were all in a little pocket alone, but we happened to be at a center of cannabis advocacy wow. because of the historic nature of the movement. now and So and the
0: '89 event was just massive.
1: So in '89 we had a political. We did, we didn't want to get beat up, you know. So we didn't encourage people to have a smoke in. We we had an intelligent. Uh, that's when it sort of became we went from smoke to rallies to educational events open the
0: discourse, that's right, right that's yeah.
1: right and yeah. and so we did these rallies in all the college campuses which were so successful that by the next um the next season which was fall we did five states and then by the next season which was spring we did 17 states and we and it just spread and spread and spread wow. until we were doing hundreds and hundreds of events every year and this is when you know the loss is this
0: like one organization do you have a name or it's going to right of we we eventually found a f- Gave
1: ourselves the name Cannabis Action Network, okay. but it was an affiliation of a whole bunch of different people. Okay. High Times was very involved. Jack Herrera came on tour with us. Mm-hmm. LV Musica, who was getting 300 joints from the federal government every month for her glaucoma, would come with us on the road. Wow. She's a blind senior citizen, and we'd load her up with the hippies and you know the school bus, and and we take her yeah, around. She loved it. She loved it. Yeah. You know why? Because we knew we only had it. We had a limited audience. We needed to talk to the cannabis users and the college students. Yeah. We needed to take LV to the newspaper editors and to the radio stations and to the T V. So every town that we went in, we go with a multiple purpose. We're gonna to talk to our own people who use cannabis, get them organized. And then let's go mass media. We're gonna take LB and tell people, even though we're in the height of prohibition, guess what? The government's supplying this lady three hundred yeah. joints a month. Yeah. And and because of it at that time, um three hundred Right? It's a, a lot of joints. <laughs> the whole tin. It's I mean like I know this. weed wasn't
0: as good back then. All right. Still, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Plenty, awesome. you know. Awesome. But um Basically, like the laws were so bad, uh, the law actually said if you looked like you consumed cannabis or if you had a sticker on your car that was a pot leaf or a Grateful Dead you could be stopped and searched because the law actually said if you looked wow. like you consumed cannabis that was enough standard to stop wow. you and search you for cannabis that's can you imagine cost, that's probable yeah. cause that was the law that was the law wow. of the land so we had to. I mean just like at U of I when they came and bloodied us we had to go full full force frontal against that like mm. are you kidding me you think that in America constitutional democracy this is what's going to happen to the citizens on the, you know, on the roads. And, and we really fought back. It was fun um, and it was kind of a grassroots effort, but it was a f- sophisticated political yeah. grassroots campaign also.
0: Yeah. And, and what was the impact of that? I mean, did anything change? Did it get better?
1: Yes, because instead of being all in the closet and no advocacy and everybody scared and kind of like on the own, you know, like little sheep, every, you know, the lost sheep, out, all of it, you know, there was no community. There was no, yeah. we weren't gathered together with People safety. That's right. So we're getting yeah. picked off all the time out of our closets, busted on the edges you know um, so when we became a community and suddenly instead of having almost no, advocacy and except maybe in some big cities and these little liberal campuses we had advocacy groups in every state and all the major campuses and all the major cities Mm -hmm. our plan was never like hey we're going to be your bosses and control you and tell you what to do we're going to come here and empower you so you can do something yourself we might never be back who knows if we're going to come back you know it's hard to be on the road you got to do it yourself so we really empowered organizations all across the u.s Mm -hmm. and yeah you'll see if you look in that sort of the know who the people were who got inspired at at hemp tour you, you'll be surprised um people like the guy who founded the marijuana policy project mm-hmm. he got inspired at mm-hmm. hemp tour uh, cool. and all, all through the movement you'll find the hemp tour people wow yeah it's fun so fun cool. times and it was fun too. make no mistake because it was a time of dead tour and yeah yeah you know so we'd go on dead tour for a while we would do the hemp tours all over the u.s you know we'd go to a rainbow gathering we'd have a good time i just have
0: to say i'm, I'm so impressed i talked to people that like made an app all day right and, and it's like i want to make an app that sounds fun too their dog's food or something and like you like did something with your life. That's that's pretty cool.
1: You know what? I remember back then. Back then, can you imagine? There was no cell phones. There were no computers. We had to do all that organizing using pay phones. Yeah, how's that? I remember even turning on a computer for the first time. You know what I mean? We had to like write out our flyers. You know, ridiculous. So tech, wow. yeah,
0: wow. at
1: Steve D'Angelo's house is actually the first place I ever saw a computer, and I turned on the button. And I, was, Ooh. <laughs> I turned on a button
0: cool. on a computer. Yes. So. Flash forward a little. When do you come to California? When do you come to the Bay Area?
1: Oh, uh, well, when we were doing Cannabis Action Network, we, because we were traveling all the time to different places, we centered in Kentucky on an old hemp farm, so um, which was really cool, but only because it was central to, you know, 10 hours from Chicago, New Orleans, D.C., you name it, we, we could get places. But we lived in the woods, and then we just, like, craved the city, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so we had to leave. We uh, fled the woods and we came to Berkeley, so okay. we, we need to be closer to like a fa- and, and fax what, machine. And what year you know. was that?
0: 92. 92. Yeah. And what is the cannabis scene like in the Bay Area in 92?
1: all of the greats were active. Yeah. Um, Dennis Perone was doing his work on medical marijuana. Um, Dr. Todd Macario was had his book, this big book called Mar- uh, Marijuana Medical Papers, where he had collected historic proof that cannabis was medicine and had been used for 100 years. Yeah. Um, Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris, who were co-authors of uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which is the book that blew the lid off the history of hemp, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were here. So if any place um, was going to be a place to come and find the best, most talented, hardworking advocates, it was here.
0: This was the Mecca. This was the Mecca. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty damn cool. It was and, fun. And, and as a young person, you just come there and you're just blown away, just super fired up. Wow. Right? Well,
1: we got here with ten bucks in our pocket. Yeah, this is like pioneering, right? We literally arrived with ten bucks, me and one other person, ten bucks to split between two people and two dogs. So, um, the very first thing we did is um, got a, a permission to put up an educational booth on Telegraph Avenue, okay. which has all these street vendors, yep. and at the time it had a lot more. And our buddy uh, Ed Rosenthal, who writes all these cannabis grow books, yep. like. Um, Marijuana. What's his books called? Uh, the, he writes the Bible. Uh, uh, anyway, he's got all these I, books. Yeah, Ed Rosenthal, it. and um, he fronted us a box of books, and we just took the books down to Telegraph Avenue. We had a table and a tablecloth and some literature, and put it out, and that's how we kind of started. It's literally with ten bucks and a box of books fronted from Ed Rosenthal. And
0: people would come ask questions. They would come
1: by. We'd give them literature, get involved with the cause. We started having meetings. You know, we eventually so were people afforded
0: that them. were smoking, but just were alienated and kind of wanted to be a part of this movement. There was
1: still no, there was still no, uh, you know, it was still hard to find a community because just still in 92, we were coming out of that, out of that drug war. We were still, everyone was still afraid and people were still in the closet, but we were getting stronger. And, you know, we had to learn, we had to learn not to just get busted all the times on the, on the highway, Mm -hmm. because if you don't know how to interact with police, I mean, they'll just beat you up and take you to jail. Yeah. So one of the skills we had to teach cannabis users is how to interact with police officers yeah. in a way that you don't get beaten up and taken to jail. Yeah. So the more that we could get the word out. Which was how then? Well, um, how one of the very first things is to know that you have a right, that you have a constitutional right to say these words, I do not consent to this search. Yeah. That police have to have a reason to search you. Yeah. And that the standard saying that you look like you consume cannabis is not enough to stand up in a court of law. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they were trained to trick you to give up your constitutional right to not be searched. And so if you knew how to state the words, I do not consent to this search, verbally you have to say them and empower your constitutional right. Then often the police would stop in their tracks Uh because they realize maybe you're going to fight. They want want easy busts, you know, or... You would have a leg to stand on when you got a a lawyer and fought. So teaching people little keys about constitutional democracy, verbal empowerment of um, constitutional rights, I choose to remain silent and I want to see my lawyer. That's so important because this is what happens. You get around a cop, oh man, they go nervous. to school and they they go to school and they learn how to trick and confuse you mm-hmm. to get you to give up your constitutional rights to give them enough info to arrest you and send you to jail and you're
0: most likely a college kid
1: right and you don't right. know any better and you are right. a little
0: stoned and paranoid right and
1: there's At the cops that. and they're oh, yeah, and and the they're not your friend and you think you're right. what should i do officer okay well tell me everything that's what they do so the more people that we could tell to know the magic words i choose to remain silent and i want to see my lawyer and to do it in a way actually that doesn't get the next thing is the cop pulls out the billy club and hits him upside the head because you kind of have to be
0: tone isn't like
1: look i'm just in participating in democracy it's so fun you know um i read about it in high school or something you know you have to kind of say something like this um you you stop talking you know what i mean you don't give the cops everything you need you actually empower Yeah.
0: yeah yeah don't say anything
1: Except really? you have to say the yeah. magic words I choose to remain silent and I want to see a lawyer. If you just remain silent You actually haven't invoked your constitutional ah. protections. Ah. Yeah, so you say it. it
0: Well, I feel lucky to live in these days because right? it has changed so dramatically right totally. now Obviously, I'm a white male So maybe I don't get picked on by the police than maybe some other groups do but I do feel and, and correct me if I'm wrong But that we've come so far in that way, right? With the the police versus cannabis sort of debate. I
1: think so. And a lot of it is through the hard work again, like um, of changing the laws, making laws, and the police are supposed to follow the laws. And I don't know if you guys, if you were here when we passed proposition um, 215, but the police couldn't believe it. They were like, we are cops and we don't have to follow this law. Right, and so they were relieved. Well, no, at first they wanted just to bust as many people as possible. It was a nightmare. Right after we passed Prop 215, the cops were like sharks on a feeding frenzy because they couldn't believe that they lost the right to bust us all, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, and the highways were a mess because especially California Highway Patrol, they were not following the law. They were still pulling people over. They were still arresting people for cannabis. You could show them their medical card and and you'd go to jail. We had to actually sue. California Highway Patrol to get them to enforce the state law. So it was actually through direct action and and numerous lawsuits against police departments that got these laws enforced. They couldn't believe it. You know why? Because police have this like, They have like a, a, I don't know, a guide back at the police department, right? A a schedule of crimes. And so each police department makes a schedule of the crimes and they prioritize the crimes. And it's like a list, right? So you gotta go in, once we legalize in California, we gotta go into all the police departments, you know, for adult use, and we have to get them to reprioritize the list of crimes. They've gotta take cannabis off there. Because the lower level cops are like, we just read the list and cannabis was still on there. Right. You know what I mean? So we had to go around to police departments and have them change their training processes because they do cop trainings, right? So now they need a medical marijuana as legal training. Okay. Not bust, you know, stoners every chance you get. Reprioritize the list and and then you're kind of golden. And then you still got the idiots who, I mean, the officers who still are upset and still bust cannabis users. That's why you see we're still having people get arrested for cannabis all the time. Mm. All the time.
0: That's fascinating, though. Yeah. I had no idea about sort of changing the schedules within. I would assume a lot changes, right? And then the government acts appropriately.
1: You will one would think, but actually citizens run the government. So we have to get into every layer of government and make sure the cogs turn.
0: So that's a clip right there. We got to clip that out. You should there you go. write that down or something. It was amazing. So when does it kind of turn from activism? into more of a business you know when do you decide okay there's a there's an actual market here too
1: when does it turn from activism to business never never at least not yet because we're still in the midst of a massive drug war okay and there are people in prison for life for cannabis Mm -hmm. and in other states not so lucky as california people are going to prison for life people are having their losing their jobs they can't get student loans they're being kicked out of their housing their kids are being taken away and so i think the people in in legal states that have an advantage People like me and you, we, we know more about business. Well, we need to use this platform as a platform to help America and to help other people and to actually use cannabis to implement the democracy that America is supposed to be to end this war on drugs and to help other people. Yeah. So when does it stop? Not yet. <laughs> not until yeah. people are out of jail, not until every last person is out of jail for life for cannabis, not until, you know, African-American and Latino men aren't being sent to jail always for cannabis. 800,000 people continue to be arrested every year for cannabis, mm-hmm. it's obscene. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, we can't stop. And um, and part of what I do with my time is train entrepreneurs that are entering about the fact that we have to continue social responsibility and that we actually still are fighting a drug war. And guess what, people are real surprised when they come in from the outside and then they find out the DEA is actually quite mad at them. I had a, an outside uh, company I work with, um, who just came into the industry. They're nice people, really good people, and they even use cannabis. They thought, let's do it, we're business people, we can do it. All the way up to the FBI visited their door and say, hey, we saw your name on the list of people trying to do this, and they were just like, holy, jeez. FBI's at the door now. They really weren't prepared, you know, because they thought we're in California, it's a new paradigm, we can do this thing. No. Last time I was harassed by the DEA, uh, July, they stopped us at the airport because my traveling companion, had mentioned that she worked for a medical cannabis dispensary. Next thing you know, they send the DEA to the gate. You wow. know, like, are you kidding me? Wow. The war on drugs is far from over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: even in California.
1: Everywhere, everywhere. Everywhere. That's right. It's a mess. Yeah.
0: So you were talking about new founders coming in the space, and we talked to a lot of them here on this program. And there is sort of this lack of knowledge surrounding activism and how it's affecting not just entrepreneurs in San Francisco, right? And I think people only are focused on the states and the cities, or states where it's medically legal or recreational, and they're not thinking about some of the southern states or some of the other states that, you know, there are a lot of cannabis smokers that are suffering. Right. I mean, right. pretty much the the way it is, right? This is true. Yeah. Well, this is
1: one of my thoughts. Let's get those cannabis entrepreneurs good and stoned. Like, let's make sure they smoke a lot of weed. Yeah. Because I think repeated use of cannabis changes the way you view things. Uh-huh. I don't think this is a bad thing. This is what happens. It happens like this: you smoke cannabis, you're thinking differently. It's not an b- absurd thought. You know, you're just looking at things differently. Yeah. You're relating. Topics together. Facts come together. You're, you know... It helps
0: things connect in your
1: brain, it, Your Right. Yeah, things connect in your brain in a different way, yeah, it, okay. it, it, differently than normal. Yeah. When you disrupt your normal way of thinking and you look at the same things differently, that's actually creativity. That's the base scientific basis of creativity, is looking at things differently in these ways. So what happens when people consume cannabis and they start to look at these things differently? I think they become become more creative and open-minded. Mm-hmm. So anybody that I see coming into the industry who has, doesn't have real life experience with cannabis, I just think, wow, am I going to get worried? No. Hopefully, they'll use some cannabis. They'll change who they are as people, and they'll become a little bit more open-minded about the fact that we're trying to make a better America. Yeah. We're trying to make people that are nicer mm-hmm. and kinder and have a community. Um, we share. We share the joint. We share our meals. We go out for coffee. You know, this is a sharing community. Yeah. So I. Uh, and and actually, I found the entrepreneurs only come to this industry because that's their basis anyway. So we're Most very many, many of them. Many, many of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even you're right. <laughs> Most of them. Most. Uh,
0: Most. Yeah, well, you know what I very much agree with you. Cannabis has made me a better person.
1: It really works like that. It's interesting. I've been doing a lot of research into the scientific basis of this creativity and cannabis issue and the effect it actually has and how it does change this re- the the way you're relating facts and topics. And I think that's very important. And I think that's part of why. Um, Part of what like just wrote an essay for example, it's called Saving America with Cannabis. And I think it's really true. I think for example, I do this conference called the International Cannabis Business Conference. We do it every year in San Francisco. It's coming up February. Uh, Where in
0: San
1: Francisco? Uh, down at the Hyatt on Embarcadero. Oh, cool. So it's ah uh, February. It's usually Valentine's Day. So February fourteenth, fifteenth, or thirteenth, fourteenth. I
0: forget. That's an amazing date, didn't Right. <laughs> we love cannabis. I, mean, like, right? I, I also just hate Valentine's
1: Day. Love, like, <laughs> oh, solidarity! Man, but... So oh, totally. Yeah. Are you kidding? And then for the people that like it, then they're like honey, let's go to San Francisco for, you know, for Valentine's Day, so it's totally <laughs> fine, too, but, um, but at that conference, we try and teach this nexus. We all need each other. Yeah. We need the entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs need the creative cannabis people, and we are going to make a better society together, so I think it's great. Everything is taken off like wildfire now that we have entrepreneurs, people that know business, people who know more about, um, I don't know, making money, uh, Productivity, putting people to work in good ways, yeah. you know, bringing values to business. Yeah. So these are important things. Well, that's things.
0: what we're all about here, right? I mean, that that's definitely one of the the intentions of this show is to kind of begin to legitimize the industry as a whole, right? That, totally. that consumers of cannabis are also hardworking people that do real shit with their life. Right, I mean that's the way I am. That's why the way the whole team is. That's the way you are. Right, you're right. not sitting on your couch right. 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. You know, and and I think <laughs> every chance I get, something. but not often. Yeah, yes, not often enough. Right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, there's just that perception of laziness. Associated right. With of course. Uh, and that couldn't be more from the truth in ter- in relation to my life. And, oh yeah. And certainly, people I work with. So uh, it's just fascinating. But so sort of that activism that leads into. Uh, BPG, is that the next thing that you guys start working on after, um, after well, 96 happens?
1: Yeah, well we legalized, we did the legalization campaign, we ran an office in Berkeley, we got 30,000 signatures, registered 1,500 voters, we managed to get the second highest yes vote in Berkeley of anyone in the state, okay. West Hollywood was, was the only one that got more, um, San Francisco got less, got like 75% or something, Berkeley got 86.5, mm-hmm. who knows why. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. Then we just said, well, what about everybody else besides medical? So we actually opened a, a adult dispensary. So while everyone else was going medical dispensary, we decided to go adult. Because in Berkeley, the voters had passed a law back in 1979 legalizing cannabis locally. They, they made a schedule for the police that put cannabis at the very bottom. Wow. But when we looked into it, we found out that they hadn't actually implemented that law uh-huh. and that cannabis wasn't in practice at the bottom of the list. They were busting people left and right. So wow. we thought, like, well, if the government doesn't enact a law that the citizens pass, which they're supposed to, the citizens have to enact it. Mm-hmm. So we thought the best way to do it was go ahead and enact it. So we um, opened a Dutch style coffee shop, just one, one yeah. day a week. It was open for nine months, one day a week, every Friday. Oh, it was wow. great, it was great. And, and what you'll find if you, if you ever rewound the history, the way that we set that thing up is how almost every dispensary works now, because it was like this. We would find that people would come to our place and they would come in, and they would get cannabis. They were very respectful when they were inside. It was all cool, right? Because they're chill, trying not to cause any problems. Right when they walked out the door, though, their expression of freedom, it was just too loud. <laughs> you know what I mean? It <laughs> was like, to quiet down a little bit <laughs> with your freedom. So uh, so we had to start a campaign called Be Cool, the Berkeley Cannabis Ordinance Oversight League. Because okay. we can legalize cannabis, but we have to be cool about this, people, you know? So we. Um, we started this program of registration program. You can come in, but you have to register. We're going to go through the rules. We're going to look you in the eye. You're going to tell us you understand what we said. You'll sign there too, you know. Don't mess with the neighbors, don't turn your music up too loud, don't block the driveways. Nuisance crimes mm. were the real worry for us sure. at that time.
0: Anything to do to get you in trouble. Right. Yeah. Right. So you really created the blueprint for the way that the It was fun. Was we
1: had music, we had uh um, you know, coffee bar, everything yeah. you would want, anything you would want. So, um, So yeah, we got busted by the police eventually because this one cop just couldn't stand it. He was a sergeant on the narcotics squad. They came down a few times. Yeah, yeah, they they knew. They totally knew. And in fact, the first time they ever came down was like the weirdest discussion. I think I've had a lot of weird talks with cops, but it was one of the weirder ones because they sent a sergeant down. He's like, "What are you doing?" like, well, we're just enforcing the law, officer, you know, and, um, and we're registering voters. We're signing petitions, you know, democracy. And wow. he was just like, well, that's nice, but we've got snitches and they've been coming to us. They're trying to set you up. And then he said, but we're not going to do that. And it's the Berkeley police. He said, but we wanted you to know that those same snitches work for the DEA. And I bet the DEA is not going to be as nice as us. Mm. And we we're just like, Thank you, sir. (laughs) You know, like, uh, yeah, right. So, um,
0: do you remember that guy? Do you talk to him still? (laughs) No, fascinating. No,
1: I don't talk to him. He was cool though. Um, but uh, then the next time they came down, they sent the head of their narcotics thing. He was just like, can't you guys move to a more subtle location? Because we were on a main road and Mm. and we would open, we'd have a line down the block. Mm. So that's why people had to be really cool, you know what I mean? Like 100 people in line, but um, but eventually, like, the The bad cop came and busted us but he lied on the search warrant on all four counts he busted us on four he went to a judge he put forward a search warrant he lied on all four counts Mm. literally lies so we were able to get every single one of them struck in court and um and we won the case i was the only one that had a felony charge against me um yeah but we won we won we We sued the cops what
0: felony did they give
1: you felony possession with intent to distribute even though they found me with less than an ounce of cannabis, yeah. which is just personal possession, but they were just so mad at me. They yeah, just... they
0: just wanted to fuck you over, basically. Exactly,
1: that, that, exactly. Yeah. So they, um, when we won the case, we sued them because it's not cool that cops lie on search warrants yeah. no yeah. matter what, right? Not That's all. not good. Yeah. And um, cops probably
0: shouldn't be lying anywhere and ever, right. right. So
1: we ended up winning the lawsuit. So there was like I don't know, seven of us that got busted total. Everyone else got misdemeanor, So we won the lawsuit. So uh, I ended up with my settlement money. Um, Buying, I bought a VW van and a ticket to Amsterdam. That was my uh, conclusion oh, wow. to the whole thing. So yeah, that was good. Okay, and then there we had a number of medical marijuana patients who were members of our thing because we had something that was much more potent—a community organization, activism, food, music, society, come gather, get to know each other. Um, and then this uh, patient approached me after it. This guy Jim McClelland, who died of age about a year after we founded Berkeley Patients Group together, but. Um, and and you know, in hindsight, he came to me and asked me to, if we want if I wanted to found a dispensary with him and, and so yeah, of course. He had some experience with this early dispensary called the Cannabis Buyers Cooperative of Oakland. So it was kind of like the second wave of dispensaries. There were used there was one Dennis Perone crushed out by the feds. Then there was seven, it was one of those, crushed out by the feds. Um so he had been with that organization. So we asked if we wanted you know, if me and my other partner there, Don Duncan at the adult use thing, um, wanted to do a dispensary with him and we did and it was great that's Berkeley patients group right but but like i was saying he did pass away he had aids and and back then the medicines were no good oh my god it was awful it was actually really tragic and anyway what was he didn't tell us he was dying it was so emotional oh, wow. um, we didn't know we didn't know until he was like you know in hospice care but because what he wanted to do if you're in the last year of your life or year and a half of your life you're kind of not publicizing, you want us to still live your life. Yeah. So he set up Berkeley Patients Group and we worked together to make it the best thing you could ever have for the last year of your life. Yeah. What do you want to do with your time, you know? Is it going to be like, I don't know, you're not going to be just adding numbers in a basement somewhere, you know? You want to be somewhere with Probably the community, not, yeah. music, yes. you know, you want to have food, uh, positivity. coffee, positivity, yeah. good weed, people yeah. gathering, smoking on site, everything. Yeah. We we really made a dream facility. And it's in hindsight, I realize now, it was in part with Jim's inspiration, what does he want to do at the last year of his life? And it wow. was epic. It was really, it was epic. Wow. And,
0: yeah. And then so after he dies, you must feel this incredible... Uh, motivation to continue on in, in his honor right? of course it yeah. becomes
1: like a legacy project where yeah. you really dig in nobody can take it away ever yeah. you know at that point um except of course as you know i eventually left the brand yeah. so yeah
0: so how how long were you uh with vpg and you were running it every day right yeah your...
1: 11 years Yeah,
0: 11 years yeah. wow yeah so i want to talk about a couple of the things that, about dispensaries really that you created sounds like but uh what i hear from early patients, people that have just got the recommendation, and they go to a dispensary and sometimes there's long lines, Uh, they get to the front of the line and there's a lot of options, right? There's a lot of strains, there's different infused items, and there's sort of like this rushed feeling, right? Like you get there and it's like, oh, I need to make a decision, I don't know what to get, you know, and then you end up getting something that's maybe not right for you, Mm -hmm. and uh, I mean how do you, how do you combat that? I mean what do, what do you tell the people that work in
1: Right. Well, um at the collective I work with now it's called Magnolia Wellness of Oakland. We're really trying to combat that issue and we do slow service like the slow food movement where or a Genius Bar at the Apple Store, where you're going to connect up with a peer counselor who's going to spend as much time with you as you need in a one-on-one conversation, a heart-to-heart conversation to help you find your medicine. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to rush you, um, and we're going to have a good conversation. And when you leave, it's because of the conversation in part that, you, that you'll actually feel better when you leave Magnolia. Mm-hmm. So um, at what,
0: what are those line of questioning? I mean, how do you have that, that little interview with them?
1: Well... I teach at Oaksterdam University, and I teach patient relations there, so I'm teaching, always teaching people how to interact with the patients at the counter, and people don't want you just to go, like, are you sick, and what disease do you have? That's, like, the opposite, right, you know, so you start the conversation much more, how can I help you today, you know, um, are you here looking for something specific, and you kind of let them lead the conversation to start. Now, if you get somebody who doesn't know anything, then you just, you know, each, Peer That's counselor. probably
0: pretty rare, right? They don't know anything.
1: Yeah. Although, when you get some I recently helped a friend of mine who's uh, 65, never tried medical marijuana at all, yeah. and had a, a couple of different complicated conditions, so needed different kinds of cannabis to treat the different conditions. Mm-hmm. So, multiple conditions: cancer, um, arthritis. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the same medication. So, going through the process, and this is what's hard: going through the process it's It's not so straightforward, yep. because of the fact is is there's different kinds of cannabis that have different effects. Um there's different methods of taking that cannabis, and each different method has a different effect. Yep. and then there's different strengths for each of those. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of look at the matrix, well, I don't know, you're yeah. smarter than me. What is it? a million combinations yeah. of cannabis or something yeah, it's that could be really difficult. It's right? very difficult. So and, how do and you
0: and I take for granted because we have all this anecdotal. Knowledge, right? That's that, right.
1: And somebody you know, like me, I liked experimenting.
0: Yeah, I haven't tried that. I'm going to try it. You know yeah. what I mean? But right, but right, somebody right.
1: who's 65 with cancer, you're and,
0: confident in your ability to handle basically whatever.
1: That's right. right. So and yeah. I'm curious. I'm you're an curious. explorer. And yeah. somebody else who's used to the more um, Western medical paradigm, or even if you go to a, a Chinese herbalist. They're going to make you a concoction and hand it to yeah. you. They're not going to go, tell this me about this, need. tell me about yeah. that. What time of day are you going to use it? You know what? It, oh, it becomes very complicated. Yeah. So um, usually you're trying to find what symptoms a patient has, and then you're trying to guide them towards symptomatic relief, starting at very, 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 very low doses mm-hmm. So for new users. But I gave a speech over at the Rossmore Senior Center over in Walnut Creek, and they have a cannabis... Uh, Group there, a medical cannabis group. They meet every month, mm-hmm. and so it was like sixty-five seniors. Some who are experienced, some who had never had any experience, some who had somewhat experience but didn't know how to use their cannabis. Impossible to face a room of sixty-five seniors and give them answers on how to use their cannabis because every one of them is different. Mm-hmm. And oh man, it just really made me realize how important still um, peer counselors are. Slow service instead of this rushed service, yeah. and also how important it is to head towards patent medicines that are standardized. Um, I think that's really important too. Mm. So eventually I'll be able to point to somebody to a medicine that has this much THC in combination with this much CBD in combination with these terpenes and therefore I know it'll have this effect. Mm. And in this dose it'll have this effect. But right now it's still very fluid in my ability to be able to do that.
0: Mm. Mm. Got it.
1: So even with my friend I had to start him with, people don't want to start with the smokeable because it's got such a bad reputation and stigma it's actually best because you just take a tiny little puff and you kind of get the feel and And see if it works. Right. And it goes away fast. Whereas sometimes you take a tiny little bite of an edible, six hours later, you're still feeling a very potent effect and you're unhappy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I also find, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of edibles. I'm a little bit of a traditionalist. I like flowers, uh, typically. Um, but with the edibles, I get like a kind of a body lull. Mm-hmm. Right? That I don't get from smoking flowers, is much more mental. Right. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but uh, yeah. And so the edibles, it takes a little longer, and I totally agree with you. People don't want to smoke, but when they do, I think they realize that it's kind of like not a big deal. You know right. What I mean? That's right. They, they're surprised at how little it actually affected them. like right. Which I think is pretty cool. Uh, so I used to spend a lot of time in dispensaries. Uh, when I moved to the Bay Area about five years ago now, uh, I'm from Southern California originally. And uh, I, you know, there were lounges. I lived in Berkeley. You know, I, it was great experience, right? And then I moved to San Francisco, and it's a much different kind of vibe here than it is in the East Bay, right? And and we have delivery,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: in a lot of places there are no, there is no delivery. But uh, I don't spend time in dispensaries anymore. I mean, do do we need dispensaries anymore? Can't we just all get it delivered? <laughs>
1: Wow, I've had such mixed luck with dispensary I mean with delivery. Okay. Because this is what I did. As soon as delivery came online, I was like, delivery, great. I'm a solo parent. I don't have time to go stand in the lines. You know, it takes an hour by the time I drive and I stand in line and this, that, or the other thing. But what happened when I got delivery was I was getting very inconsistent product at the door and mm-hmm. and actually very disappointing. And so I think I tried delivery five times, and I found I just struck out almost every time. I found one company that has consistent cannabis, and literally only one that that I trust to bring product to the door that I that I don't like. Wow! You know, because this is what a lot of these delivery companies do: they staple the bags sure. shut. The person comes on the door, they're like here, and then they leave, yeah. and you're just stuck with what's, what's in the bag. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. and uh, you're talking about like uh, delivery from one particular dispensary, right? Yes. Not like the-
1: well, I tried this that and the other delivery you companies yeah no well not, not all, all of them but yes i experimented them. yes a
0: lot. Yeah. interesting so i mean i pretty much order exclusively from meadow shout out david hua but, mm. but uh i don't find that with, with his experience right? well see it's,
1: this is what i was saying yes. in my own head i know and i advise a um, business management consultant I, I have i tell my clients or the people at oaksterdam who are in my classes that want to go into delivery there's only one way to do it and that's to make perfect bags of cannabis don't send your delivery clients wet, damp, right, swaggy right, right. cannabis, really right? Or you won't keep your clients. Yeah. So
0: yeah. No, it's just like delivering food, right? Yeah. You got to make sure. That's it's right. Hot and,
1: yeah. Hey, it's exactly like that, right? I yeah. could order Chinese food, food from like hundred places in my neighborhood, right. but there's like two I go to. Yeah. So this is kind right, of right, it's right. the same thing with cannabis. Yeah. yeah.
0: I live in North Beach, so there's like. 35 Italian restaurants, right? And I always go to the same one or two because That's right. they, we've built that trust, right? Yeah. It's, it's ultimately about trust, yeah.
1: I agree. And dispensaries, yes, we do need dispensaries because... Um There's something about that retail slow service that's really important for people when they're making their decision. Mm -hmm. And it's also how people get introduced to new products. And besides that, the dispensaries are a funnel for information. Like we need people to come in so we can tell them about the rally, the protest, the the law, that we need help, make the call, yeah, Yeah, get in the the customer relationship management stuff so we can mail you out important topics that you need to know to protect yourself and to help other people. And then what happens at the dispensaries that I belong to, um, we follow the wellness model. Uh, so you get something else besides just cannabis. Yeah, free services. There might be massage therapy, something yeah. like this. There might be a comfortable atmosphere, like you're saying. We used to go to places where we'd hang out and feel very dignified, drinking a coffee and smoking our cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of stuff I really love. I think in the future we're going to see more smoking lounges come on board as the stigma I and the fear. So.
0: Me too. I hope so. Yeah. Holy cow! You know, I'm I'm often disappointed. Like uh, it's Saturday morning. Last night I went out, right? And the I like to drink alcohol as well, not nearly as much as I like cannabis, mm-hmm. but there's just this expectation, particularly among young people, like, well, let's go out and get really drunk. And I'm like, well, I mean, why is that the better solution? You know, who decided that th- that was the right drug to pick, right? Because it's a drug, we're all talking about drugs, right? I and mean, Coffee's a drug, right? So um, yeah, no, I, I really do hope that that stigma sort of continues to evolve. What do, you, what do you think needs to happen? I mean, are we gonna have to be recreational in California before people are, are more comfortable with it?
1: That's a good question, what is gonna happen? Well, for example, I threw this party recently at a nightclub in San Francisco, and they let us set up a cannabis bar. We had the alcohol bar, we had the cannabis bar. What a great idea! I mean, I'd be going out to nightclubs more often if yeah. they had an alcohol bar and a cannabis yeah, of bar. That maybe that's the future—that we're going to be able to go out and choose which bar we go to. Yeah. Perfect. Why not have both and have options? When... Well,
0: you talked about Amsterdam a little bit. I was in Amsterdam in August, mm-hmm. and uh, this is my fourth or fifth time there. But they have a clear division between the coffee shops and cannabis, and the nightclubs and bars.
1: That's right. You know, some years ago. I don't think that the coffee shops can serve alcohol anymore. No, but they used yeah. to be able to. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You used to be able oh, to do both. But that was part of the... As the laws cracked down further and further in the Netherlands, they, they bifurcated that maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 And and they clearly made that distinction. Before then, you could go and get alcohol. At what the... do you
0: think of that? Do you agree?
1: Prohibition's prohibition. It's It mm. makes absolutely no sense to me.
0: So. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... I like options, right? I think Mm -hmm. as humans, we are entitled to options. We should use our own brain to make educated decisions. Uh, But I do have to say that I hear a lot of people complain about uh, the effect cannabis has on them when they're drunk. Right? So like Oh
1: yeah. Well I stopped drinking when I started smoking cannabis, yeah, because completely. the effect was just yes, completely actually. Yeah. I became like a teetotaler or whatever no it's called wine, forever. No. no, no. But now I now I like to use both, but because yeah. I didn't like the swirly effect it had in my head yeah. when I was combining them. Yeah. But um even in the Netherlands, for example, when they had alcohol when alcohol was allowed at the coffee shops, only some did that. You know, there was only sure. certain ones that had it. And even people that had um chains would only put alcohol in some of their places because the consumers like to choose their environment mm-hmm. and you know what this is why because all my friends don't smoke weed and we still want to go out together so if I'm going to a place that has um, weed and my friend smokes alcohol what am I or uses only alcohol what am I supposed to do say see you see you later we can meet up you know let's be able to all can't we all it's be like together you know right? like, Thank you. you <laughs> like. makes no sense so I, I think that that's what happens people kind of trade but but they can go, people like them together, too. Yeah. Don't get behind the wheel of a car, you know. That's a, the that's a thing that cannabis users know and that you find when you look at the data about um, cannabis consumption and driving under the influence. Cannabis users, when they're too inebriated, we don't get behind the wheel. Mm. We know it's going to wear off in a couple hours and we're going to find something fun and creative mm-hmm. to do for that time. Mm-hmm. So we don't see on the highway um, this big problem with um, driving under the influence. Sure. And you'll see in Colorado, when you look now, you'll see that... Um, driving under the influence of alcohol has gone way down now that they legalize cannabis. So uh, people are making better decisions.
0: How do you feel about how recreational has gone in, in Washington and, and Colorado and, and now Oregon, right? How do you, how do you feel? that they Have they done a good job with it? Well, that
1: Washington law was a mess with the three levels of taxation, yeah. 25% at every level. Well, I did the math one day. I tried to do the math and just figure out, you know, the cost of the cannabis is this much, then we add 25%, then they add 25%, then retail adds 25%, then sales taxes added on, then the IRS business taxes are added on. It's ridiculous. You basically have to pay cann- pay some amount of money to grow a pound of cannabis. It's, right. it's in the negatives. Right, you know, you can't really make it go. I don't know how they're gonna make a go of it up in Washington other than changing the law eventually to yeah. be more manageable. Um, in Colorado, I've been out to Colorado a few times it's going to take some time for the cultivators to make the switch from small-scale um, grow facilities to large-scale cannabis because mm-hmm. C- it doesn't work like some people think like oh, I used to grow in my closet now I just do the math and multiply that times a hundred and I'm gonna have a big multi-acre facility right. it actually doesn't work like that the industrial cultivation is much different mm-hmm. so what happened in Colorado what's happening now is that people are just zeroing in on the cultivation methodologies and, and frankly up till now the cannabis in the recreational market has been a little underwhelming. Mm. We come from the land of cannabis, you know, so I'm hard, hard to satisfy. And when I went out to, to, I went to Colorado and they tried to charge me these enormous retail prices for cannabis that was substandard to California, I would just yeah. threw my hands up. I didn't even oh, go to the sure. places, you know. When I was in Colorado, last time I stayed on the private market with my friends who know where to get the cannabis that's like high quality, you know, Organic yeah. cannabis.
0: So I think one of the concerns in, in the recreational movement is that uh, medical and that lower tax rate will disappear at some point. Do do you foresee that? I mean, if as a lawmaker you would say, well, hey, I I want to capture as much tax revenue as possible. Why do I want to have these different tax tiers? You know.
1: Well, like they do it for ibuprofen. Oh. I can get it at the pharmacy and I don't pay any tax and I can get it on the shelf and I pay a sales tax. Mm. So there are definitely other schemes in medicine mm-hmm. or in the world where um, where there's two different levels of taxation. So I think we'll have to fight hard to retain that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we will. So we're lucky in California because we've had 20 years of medical. It's kind of sure. hard to go back on yeah. it and pretend it's yeah. all recreational. It's yeah. not. It's yeah. medical. Yeah. So I hope. That eventually, like in the Netherlands, we get some cannabis in the pharmacies too. It'd be nice for people who need it to be able to go to the pharmacy, get a whole plant medicine, highly tested, probably irradiated like they do in the Netherlands to kill the molds and bacterias. Yeah. But you can get it on your insurance card. Yeah, and um, insurance will cover it, and, and there's maybe no that's taxes. A high
0: CBD strain, you know. I mean, maybe or that's...
1: anything in the yeah. Netherlands, they have a CBD strain, they have a high THC, and they have a mild THC, mm-hmm. and so you can go to the pharmacy and you can get three different you have three different selections it's and it's good cannabis it's tight california style cannabis yeah let's do it everywhere right let's put it on uh, over the counter let's put it in the pharmacies let's go grow it in your backyard let's be able to share it between each other the more we can preserve freedom i think the better
0: so flash forward i don't know how many years 10 years or so is this going to be like in whole foods is it you know are you going to be able to buy cannabis at costco
1: i, I always want to put a kiosk in Whole
0: Foods. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I'll do that. I mean, I think Um, it's the same demographic, right? Right. So it would work.
1: I think we're going to start to see those CBD don't get you high products, like sitting on the shelves next to the hemp seed products. Those same companies, in fact, that are working on hemp seed products. Um, Stevia, you know, that company that does all those extracts of uh, sugars and stuff like that. They're doing cannabis um, products. They they have a CBD department right now. I am pretty sure we're going to see those CBD products sooner than later on on the over the counter market.
0: Yeah. Um, we got to talk to them. That's dope. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. I, I haven't learned much about what yeah. they're doing, but I've go- definitely Googled it, yeah, and they're yeah. in it. Uh, so they've got the retail, you know, the retail knowledge to get it on. Hey, if I thought if I could ever partner with somebody, I want to partner with that five hour energy drink guy and put you know cannabis CBD Do
0: you like 5 hour energy
1: no but I like the way that he's got him placed right at the cash register of every store all across America Dimple you know spice. what I mean yeah let's, how can I hook up with that guy and get the CBD product in that, in that prime position you know cold
0: emails right. cold this emails is what I work. thought
1: you gotta buy your 5 hour energy drink cause it can get you all cranky and then pick up your CBD you know you non-irritant right next to it you know and then just <laughs> leave them, <with> them. <laughs> then you go
0: hey I'm I'm down I'm very open to trying that. We're going to make a business. Um, So, uh, fingers crossed, we'll be recreational legally in California in 2016.
1: Right. I heard somebody say this. It's going to take 20 years to implement the law. Here we are 20 years past Proposition 215, and it's still, frankly, a big mess. We don't even have the state regulations haven't even passed to allow legalized cultivation and production in the state of California, and it's been 20 years. So after we pass adult marijuana, I predict it's going to go... just like it did for medical. The cops are gonna go crazy. We're gonna be getting beat up and taken off the streets and taken to jail. We're gonna have to fight the cops. We're gonna have to be very smart and very intelligent. Um, And we're gonna win that battle by lawsuits, by enforcing the law, by running a democracy. Citizens have to enforce the laws. We can't be like, officer, please enforce the marijuana law. Actually, it doesn't work like that. Um, And so I think uh, think we're gonna have a 20 year battle on our hands Mm. to implement California.
0: Mm. And, in those first few days, right, like when they first get legal, and there's kind of this big party, right, yes. a- and and somehow the economics don't seem to uh, be as legit as they come a little later, right. And are we going to have a similar problem like Washington did, you know, with the the messed up tax rates? Uh, I mean, how, how do we see do this is the what's right going to happen?
1: This is what's going to happen. Oh wow, it's really weird what happens. Okay, we're on one side of the voting spectrum. We really support it, right? Then there's the people who don't, really don't support it. There's not too many of those, thankfully. And then there's the middle and the slightly above middle because that's what we need. And they really almost really kind of support it. So as we're passing laws, we have to pass the laws to get the votes. And we're a democracy, so we're trying to pass laws to satisfy the majority of the people. It's not just us at the far end, you know, we're kind of trying to write something that's gonna fit the mindset of the people that are the 50 plus one they're not the same as us and so what's going to happen is that because of that we're going to pass laws that are going to be too conservative and that don't work in practice Mm. and it's going to take a number of years through legislative actions to clean up the mess created by creating laws written for the 50 plus one
0: for example you have
1: a well let's see what was something in medical marijuana well with medical marijuana how we passed the law but we didn't make any manufacturing laws for Mm. 20 years and we kept busting up until just today people who are manufacturing the products that are legal to sell.
0: Yeah, so, crazy. Crazy. You can sell it, but you can't grow That's it. That's
1: right. You can't grow it. You can't manufacture it. You can't make baked goods. We still don't have our edibles produced under the auspices of our county health departments. They're made in people's... I don't even want to tell you that I, how bad it was when I went to visit my suppliers recently because I thought like okay, time to go see how people's kitchens are for these products that I'm working on, and I, or, you know, using regularly or providing to people, and I really wasn't happy. And I realized because, you know, there's no health department verifying that the kitchens are safe, and people aren't using these sort of safe handling processes that normal bakeries might use because they can't get into a normal bakery and because nobody's regulating them. And, uh, and they
0: can't get into like a shared kitchen. They right? can't get into
1: That's a shared like, kitchen. Yes. So, so I definitely thought, wow, there's really definitely a place for a, a business uh, elevator escalator with a commercial kitchen providing services to all these sort of edible and manufacturing companies. Um... And other services to them, maybe like bookkeeping, marketing, accelerators, accelerator. You. Thank you. I always go. What's the word? Escalator, <laughs> accelerator, yeah. <laughs> elevator. I have thank a company you. called. Uh, I have a, a usual, but accelerators. So. Um, yeah. yeah, I have a company called Eureka, and um, or, oh no, sorry, uh, called um, Elevate, and that's a, that's our thought. Like we need to take the companies as they are right now and elevate them.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: And we need to provide these sort of services, like yeah. um, I know, like you're used to doing with your in your real world.
0: Yep, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, fortunately, we're starting to see some of the great minds in this area from technology and other industries right. that are starting to come into cannabis with with all of this background in, you know, whether it be events or investment or law, right? And that's really cool to see, right? It's kind of gone out of this, like, uh, cannabis community that you spoke of before mm-hmm. and, and becoming a little more mainstream, which is which is cool to see. That comes with some concerns, though, right? I mean, is the quality of cannabis gonna get worse? You know, we have marble Greens. Is that gonna be an issue? Wow. Like, you know, what what do you foresee there?
1: What is gonna happen? Well, um, hmm, well, we wanna avoid that, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, this is the thing, this is what I'm thinking. We're not trying to recruit new users. We're not out there going like, hey, you haven't tried cannabis, come try cannabis. Right, you right, know, right. like, um, you're about to turn 18 or 21, we can get you into the cannabis, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like that. We're trying to, help the people that are currently using cannabis, to get them out of the underground market, to make the product safer, to put it into some kind of way where it can be taxed and regulated. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think that's what we have to focus on in the, in the future. It's not, it's not recruitment. And I think by doing that, we're never gonna kind of go to the lowest denominator where we need the Budweiser of cannabis because there's so many people, you know. But this is, I think, what's happening in Colorado as we try and ramp up production to these industrial standards yet still create this very pure cannabis there's a learning curve for the farmers. Mm. And so we are kind of seeing this cannabis come out right now that's just a little too squishy, a little too underdone. The THC is not right. It doesn't get dense and crunchy like I like it. And I don't know how long it's gonna take the farmers to transition from prohibition-style cannabis cultivation to large-scale safe cannabis.
0: And there seems to be a really wide range of quality, right? I mean, uh, sometimes I see things that I'm just like, that's terrible, and it's priced higher than what I know to Uh, be the best.
1: right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Totally arranged. We've got a lot of work to do. Creating this industry is going to be really interesting. You know, it is really interesting to go from kind of advocacy into business. And and for me, I feel like my brain is growing. Like it's a bigger muscle than it ever was before to have to learn just basic business principles. This is the other thing I learned. It's been so hard for me. I started Berkeley Patients Group. We started with like one patient and one staff member, you know, we I ran it 11 years. We ended up with almost 100 staff members by the time I I left and then we were uh managing 100 million dollars worth of sales, you know what I mean? That's the learning by fire. You, 100 million you, right. And you have to you, it, Is that a yearly? No, that's or? like the total over like, over okay, the years. Okay, so over the course of time going from one to that
0: you know,
1: what, like 10 million a Right, all these big dispensaries. So you learn, learning everything by fire is very difficult. Um, and most of my peers, many of my peers um, are going to fall behind because they're not getting business management yes. experience. That they're in the field and they're kind of isolated and there's still this stigma and they're not learning the programs and they're not doing the bookkeeping and they're not filing taxes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's sort of what I'm doing right now is... I feel if we would really want to make the cultural changes that that are on my mind to make a better America, nicer, more sharing, can we be kinder? Can you know? Can we be more equal? Um,
0: but it's not just charity, right? I mean, if they don't do it the right way, it's possible they ruin it for everybody else, right? I mean,
1: yeah, and then it's also possible that so it's kind of a nexus, right? We have to teach the cannabis. The cannabis entrepreneurs business, and we have to teach the business entrepreneurs cannabis. So, and it's that nexus that really fascinates me. And part of what I've been trying to do for the last time since I left Berkeley Patients Group five years ago is really give my own peers a leg up in business. Mm. Everything that I learned by fire, I can translate to my peers and go, look, you really don't have to do it by fire. You can, you know, there's kind of a step by step process to business management. Mm. But I show people the step by step process, and it's it's downright overwhelming to manage an effective effective business. So I realize that some of these cannabis entrepreneurs are people that wanna be entrepreneurs. If I'm teaching, for example, a class at Oaksterdam, I would want them to know, all of you can't succeed alone look around the room. Where's your partner? You know what I mean? Like, what is every cannabis user in America going to have their own business? It's probably not going to work, right? Let's, let's find strategic partnerships. And if, if you have the cannabis knowledge and there's entrepreneurs that have entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial knowledge, you know, they know business management, they can run spreadsheets, let's partner. Mm. So Mm. I think, I think partnership is a part of the future. And then teaching both sides, cannabis to the entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial business management to the, to the cannabis people.
0: Got it. Let's, let's talk about Oaksterdam a little bit. Uh, what? How did you get started? Did they, they ask you to come teach this class? Or how did how I get started?
1: Work? I don't even remember how I got started. I think I um, I got in touch with the Oaksterdam back in the day and I proposed to them that I want to do a business management course okay, there, cool. that I wanted to, you know, start teaching business management. Yeah. And then they said, hey, we've got a, a spot open for procurement and allocation. So teaching people to buy cannabis and sell cannabis and for patient education okay. and so I stepped into those two roles and both are fascinating buying good cannabis at the dispensary level and selling the cannabis appropriately and going how you go through the quality control management yeah. very fascinating stuff yeah.
0: yeah super interesting and you get to meet the next generation of yes cannabis enthous- and entrepreneur that's right, right. that's yeah. very cool it's very fun uh, how big are the classes Is it's like a big auditorium or no, it's like whatever?
1: 25 30 people 25, per session 30 people yeah got it. and
0: and how much is tuition to go to Oakstream?
1: i'm not sure yeah i don't know
0: got it i should know this look it up Oakstream. Oak uh tell me a little bit uh about magnolia mm-hmm. and what's what's the mission there you know how is this going to be different than
1: well, Magnolia is holding firm to the wellness model. So, Magnolia is a nonprofit organization that exists to help people. So, that's our first thing. And our very basic um, value is kindness. Like let's just be nice it's, yeah. it's amazing to go someplace that the idea is just to be nice like, be you know nice. <laughs> it's so simple right <laughs> and what's funny to me is that people who are my friends come to me they're like we went to magnolia it was so amazing people were nice to us like they're so surprised you know and so for me that's surprising like wow that's the number one thing people are going to tell me again and again is how surprised they are to be treated nice mm. so i think that's a good foundation right there niceness and of course then cannabis science and knowledge base um creating a a scalable model, really, really fine-tuning the systems to scale them. I'm all about helping my peers, so creating scalable models that then we can share and teach other people um, to do that in their own businesses, I think that's very important. I personally believe the more we can share freely, you know, what comes around goes around. So I have um, uh, at Magnolia and the other groups that I work with, we have a very strong sharing community, sharing information, sharing opportunity, um, anything we can.
0: Very cool. And you guys do delivery? Not yet, but we will. You will? Yes. You will. Yep. So how will your delivery be different?
1: Well, our delivery will be different because you will always have consistent, highest quality cannabis. This is the thing. It, it, this is what I teach my students at Oaksterdam in the procurement class. In a pound of cannabis, there's three products. Mm-hmm. There's high-grade cannabis, those tight, dense buds that are really medical grade. There's these little fluffy buds. They're just fluff. They shouldn't be in the high grade cannabis bags. They need to be set aside, mix it all together from all the pounds that you get at your collective and make a mega mix of this cannabis that's less potent. It's usually about eight, 10% Mm. THC as opposed to those dense nugs in the bag which are like 15 to 18%. So now we've got a 10% THC product in a bag and we've got a 15, 20% THC. They're all mixed up in in the same bag. And then there's the leaf which is like three to 5% THC. Yeah. Now this is my complaint about delivery companies. When they show up at my door and they have an eighth, they give me an eighth that has all three of those products in it. The leafy stuff, yeah. the fluffy stuff, and the dense buds. Yeah. I never want to talk to them again. Yeah, yeah. They're doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. So but You've
0: lost all control as a consumer.
1: Exactly. A so I think that really people need to focus on, from the delivery perspective, only putting the premium quality cannabis in those high grade bags of cannabis. And that's what we're gonna be committed to for sure, is you are gonna get only the best and exactly what you wanted when, when we arrive.
0: Yeah, so I think as we transition away from like the drug dealer mentality to dispensaries and, and legitimate delivery, like that customer experience is really so important. You kind of touched on it a little bit. You yeah. Know? Um, but there's other parts to it too. I mean, I work for a company, we have about 25, 30 cannabis customers, d- d- dispensaries. Uh, and all we do is like logistics for those deliveries. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, you can like watch it come to you, it's sort of like an Uber type experience. Cool. You watch the driver. Anyway, when you get ready to do delivery,' well, okay, have to talk count about me in. That. I'm ready. We're almost ready. I got a little plug. Okay, let's talk
1: know? in two weeks. Constantly.
0: What's up? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite part of the show, we'll get you out on on some fun ones here. Uh, you know, what do you like to smoke? What what's your strain that you like a lot? How do you like to smoke it? You know, at wow. the end of your very busy day teaching at Oaksterdam and running the world's activism.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What do I like to smoke? How do you unwind? Well, I mean, I like it all. So there I go, like, what do I like the best? I used to only like hash and sativa, because I really liked that uplifting cannabis. It was kind of like, I like coffee, I like sativa. I want to feel energized by my cannabis. But then I was, High Times gave me the opportunity to judge indica flowers for them one year. And so I smoked indica. For like a week straight and I really got the understanding of what the medical effect of indica is uh-huh. as opposed to the effect uh-huh. of sativa yeah. and I really found that indica is a very good medicine yes. because it goes through your whole body yes. and you kind of described it a little while ago when you were talking about the edibles but it gives you that body feel where it's a little mm-hmm. bit like it's a little deflating, I don't know, but, or relaxing or something like this. Relaxing is really you really feel it inside your body yeah. with the sativas. So yeah. what I understood about the sativas is that how incredibly potent and, and powerful and important of a medicine, the indicas. sorry, the indicas are yeah. for the body and for the relief that they can give people from pain, um, maybe uh, emotional suffering from stress. Irritation, super important. Yeah. So what I learned from that is like I like sativas at a certain time and for a certain time and place. I can I can choose my cannabis based on what I need yeah, for they both effect. Have their
0: place, right? That's
1: right. Yeah, that's I'm,
0: right. I'm kind of similar. Earlier in my life, I was all sativa all the time. Uh, viewers of this show know I like green crack a lot. Nice. It's, that's the worst. infamous, <laughs> yes. It's really, really good. Green crack, and especially on a Saturday morning, right? It's okay. Particularly good. But as I've gotten a little older, I've realized the value of indica. Right. I, I have trouble sleeping sometimes. Right. For no other reason than I'm excited about my life and i lay totally. in bed and write emails you know and uh so that indica is really important for me you mm-hmm. know at uh i don't know eight or nine o'clock at night that's that's pretty pretty important i'm
1: with you i like the edibles at night too yeah i, I don't like the edibles in the daytime because yeah. i don't like that all over body effect because it's really a medical effect and and if you need to be uh, sort of doing things driving doing quick brain work um doing math uh Anything that well, requires Excel a lot of concentration. Is
0: tough <laughs> on <any cannabis>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Darn,
1: I was gonna try and find the right cannabis to do Excel. I thought that would unlock the I took a two day session on Excel one time. I was like, you know what? This is what I know about Excel. I gotta work with somebody that knows Excel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're out there. Yes. So you don't need yes. to learn that. Some skill.
1: people like that. They love it.
0: they love it right they're all they spend their whole day in excel fabulous i love those people so how do you like to smoke uh pipe bongs what what's your go-to
1: well i like dabbing uh i like uh, really potent cannabis um and i also like joints and i like pipes and i like eating it and uh, (laughs) i like consuming it i'm I'm not so much a topical type of person but Yeah. yeah i like the effect of cannabis Yeah. So I theorize that the reason I told you at the beginning that the very first time I actually felt the effects of cannabis, it changed my life forever. I theorize the reason I felt such an extreme medical change in the way my body is, is that I was endocannabinoid deficient. Mm. That my natural endocannabinoid system within my body was underproducing, underproducing cannabinoids. So when I finally topped it up. And how
0: did you find that out? Did you have like blood work done? No,
1: I just felt that way, you know okay, what I, I mean? Was, I, I'm theorizing, you know, that it. the reason I could go from night to day from using cannabis is because I was endocannabinoid deficient. And
0: and what is that night to day, I mean, what? how did that deficiency take effect?
1: I suffered from crippling shyness. Yeah. I couldn't even speak. I literally would never have been able to do this. Yeah. I couldn't be in a circle of five of my best friends and say a word. You know what I mean? This is what happens when you have these kind of social anxiety disorders that can come from a lack of endocannabinoid. Mm-hmm. Um, in your natural system. So can you imagine going from deathly shy and you try cannabis and suddenly you can live your life? Wow. Oh, I was like, hell yeah. Wow. What do you mean it's illegal and I'm going to get beaten up by the cops <laughs> and go to jail? Forget that. No, I need this. Yeah, this changed I my life. This. Yes. Yeah.
0: So. Well, Debbie, I think that's a, as good an end as any. Thank you so much for being here again. Really a pleasure. Thank you. To talk to one of the legends.
1: Oh, you're in, so nice. Yeah. All right. I'm going to come and uh, want to work with you in your real life too. You yeah. need your
0: help too. Yeah, the I'll entrepreneurs and the
1: cannabis people have to get together.
0: 100%. If you need anything, please let us know. We, we're we really trying to help people. We're, we're relatively new to this, you know, uh, not not to cannabis, but to the industry right. side. And so we're just trying to be helpful and, and talk to as many awesome people as uh, like yourself. Thank you. Uh, you can find us everywhere. We are on YouTube. We are on Periscope. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere you go on the internet, you're going to find Investing in Cannabis. Uh, Debbie, how could people get a hold of you or do you want them to get a hold? Oh, of
1: yeah, you? Debbie Goldsberry, Debbie with a Y. I'm everywhere, too. I'm cool. on yeah. in, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm very yeah. interactive. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a like social, social media stuff? person. Yeah, you like it? Yeah, I'm, well, you know, I'm a solo parent, so I'm at home alone with my kid a lot. So if I don't have social media, I'm very limited in my ability to get out and interact in the real Got world. It. So I love it. Got and, it. Yeah, yeah, big on on my online online community.
0: Very cool. We're gonna get you out of here. You have a concert to go to, Heck right? Heck yeah. The, uh, the Marley Brothers. No? That's
1: right. The Vibes Fest, Fishbone.
0: Yeah, cool. cool. Well, enjoy. Thank you again, and uh, thank you for watching. I'll see you next time, guys.